0: us heavenly father we come to you because you are awesome and we come to you because we have been created by you for you and i pray father that you would help us to know you correctly and to live in this life by faith and to live uh, yielding our heart submitting our heart to your will Oh, Lord, we fail to do that far too often and seeing the sin in our hearts die is is uh, discouraging at times. But, Lord, you are good and you are faithful and what you begin, you will complete. And so we come here today and we we love your word and uh, expect that you will teach us from it. Okay, so last week we were talking about church discipline, uh, the beginning of 1 Corinthians 5. And we, if, if you you know weren't here last week, you missed a lot in terms of like, why do we do church discipline? How do we do church discipline? What situations are you supposed to do church discipline? All those kind of things. So I just recommend that you to go back and listen to that if you need to. Uh, one of the things that's important in the book of Corinthians is this idea of a visible church. Within the visible church is what we call the invisible church, right? Those who are, those who are truly born again, who, whom God has uh, called to himself, united to Christ, that, that invisible church. But there's a, a visible church live with this tension that, that sometimes um, uh, you just won't even know. You know, and God's the judge. In fact, in chapter 4, it was all about don't judge because God's the judge. So then in chapter 5, Paul says there's this one situation where there's this one person who is in such like heinous, unrepentant sin that you need to kick him out of the church, all right? And in his situation, he was openly uh, having an affair with his uh, stepmother, basically, and unrepentant, just very open. And so um, they had to do this process of church discipline, which we would call excommunication. And it's basically a statement to uh, this person that we now are, Seeing you as outside of the church, you're not here. You're here, and the way that he got into the church, what's the what's the uh, the visible sign by which you enter the church? Baptism, right? So, baptism, you come into the church. But this person is so blatantly rebellious. I mean, church is full of sinners, people who are not perfect, uh, but. There comes a tipping point where someone is so openly walking away from God, and they just do not want to listen to any any counsel that you have to kick them out. Okay, so that that's the that's kind of the situation where we are right now, and so we're in uh, chapter six or chapter five, verse six, and we'll just pick it up there and and try to see what was going on in the Corinthian mindset of why why they didn't do that because he's going to he's going to talk about uh some issues going on with them so here we go six through eight uh we don't have the microphone to people yet so i'll read this and then uh marcus will bring a microphone down to somebody and we'll have you guys read the next section your boasting is not good do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump As you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Okay, so I'm just going to start asking you guys some questions. Uh, In these verses, it could be different in other places, but in these verses... What do you think the yeast symbolizes? Okay. All right. <laughs> the Yeast is bad. Okay, that's good. Uh So is it maybe the arrogance. So uh Okay, so arrogance um I, 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 I I'm just getting your I'm not telling you yes or no to what you're saying. I I I agree with you, uh, Lori, that arrogance is a huge issue. Any other thoughts? What do you think this yeast is? So it's about, about being able to
1: contaminate the
0: whole. Right. Okay, so the symbolism is that put a little yeast and it affects the whole dough. Okay, so that's the symbolism. But what is it that's affecting the dough here? Okay, So it, so the boasting could be... The boasting could be it. That might be our number one option. The boasting. But what else could be con- contaminated? What? Sin. The sin, right? Like the, the, the sin itself. Unrepentance. Unrepentance. Okay. Unrepentant sin. That's a good clarification because it's not just we're all sinners. We just said that we're all sinners. So if there's going to be something that's going to contaminate the visible church, it's going to be this unrepentant sin. So he could be saying... Take the person, that person, the unrepentant sinner, and getting them out is getting the yeast out. You guys also, though, rightly said that he could be talking about their arrogance, because it's their arrogance that's keeping them from doing it, right? Um, Maybe the tolerance of uh, obvious sin. Right. So Yes, and so that's where this arrogance, I think, is very well said, Jim. Uh, Tolerance. So, the, the, the yeast could be their willingness to tolerate sin itself. So, it could be that's why I'm just getting you guys to think this through a little bit. So, it's, it could be the sin, get the guy, the guy out. That's clearly in the context. It could be get rid of this, this attitude in your heart that is causing you to just tolerate it and not care about it. That could be the yeast that's working through the whole dough. Do we have to choose? <laughs> Go ahead. Is it also,
1: is it also possible that uh, enough of those individuals were in sin, perhaps of a lesser sort? that They were loath to condemn anybody else, just not lest you
0: be judged. That's a good. That's a good point. So even though he, this may be an extreme example, part of the reason why they might not be dealing with it is they were dealing with lesser sins of the same nature. Could be. We, you know, those are all just good for you to think this through, right? Because there's this yeast. That is important. Now, how does the yeast relate to the Passover feast? All the yeast and leaven had to be removed from the house before the feast Okay, so all the leaven before you could celebrate the Passover feast, you had to get rid of all the yeast in the house. And now historically what that meant, there were two reasons why the Israelites didn't have yeast in their home or in that, in that celebration of the Passover at the original time. One was that they were just in a hurry to get out of Egypt. But as time went on, that, that unleavened aspect uh, of the celebration of the Passover had to do with the sinfulness of Egypt, the place that they left. And so both of those are part of this, this getting out quickly on a rush and also leaving behind sin so that you would celebrate the Passover in a in a um in a pure way okay now how does christ relate to his symbolism of the passover feast because he's he's drawn a lot of connections here how does christ relate to this he's the passover lamb in other words not just in their celebration of communion but in their whole life the church is itself an expression of the passover feast Right. So they they are Christ is the one who's been sacrificed for them. And so just their whole life in the church is like a Passover feast. It's kind of what he's making this connection. Right. So um, now he then says he then says, um, even though he's mad at them, he's telling them that there is the yeast of sin in their heart that's in the presence it's working in the church it's not a good thing there's arrogance there's all this stuff does he then deny that they are a church look what he says, he says you are truly unleavened. there you go <laughs> he still calls this church the whole church unleavened as he is confronting sin in their lives. Which I think is rather amazing. He'd be like, oh, you guys are just. And you contrast this with, with Paul's comments in Galatians, where they have left Christ. And he says, You're not even a church. You know, you're, you're about ready to die. You know, he's mad. But here, the, the church in Corinth, they are they're arrogant, they're too tolerant of sin. There's all these things going on inside him, but he still says to them, you are unleavened, which is like saying at the very beginning of this in the book of Corinthians to the church of God that is in Corinth, those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now, this is very helpful. Even though people are struggling with sin, even though they're imperfect, we do not just assume, well, they must not be a Christian. This is so helpful in your pastoral. If you actually have to get to a place of taking a person and bringing them out of the church, that is a huge deal. That's why it shouldn't happen too often. And it doesn't happen too often in this situation. It does happen, but it's not just every time someone sins, get them out. That's not what you're dealing with. okay? Um, and you still think of people as being in Christ. And what you're trying to do is get your behavior to come more in line with your status that's what you're trying to do you are sanctified in christ jesus you are unleavened therefore live that way bring your behavior more in, in alignment with who you are in christ are we fall in this how important this is okay so a lot of times people criticize the church because there's sinners in there oh they're all full of hypocrites because they're sinners Paul, you could say, well, yeah, we are sinners, you know, and we don't just say, oh, we're saved by grace. God just forgives us. We do whatever we want. That's not the point, but it is something that there's an expectation that even those who are in the church are not fully sanctified yet. And they're going to be doing stuff that you're going to go, huh, I don't like that. Questions or comments?
1: In front or admonish a, a whoever, brother, sister, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, about sin, you know, it's a step process and by that you test their heart as well as um, keep the church, you keep the church pure without destroying the church.
0: There you go. Because if you do the keep the church thing, pure without destroying the church, that sounds like a good line right there.
1: Without anything in between, Creates. It hurts. it hurts the
0: church. Yep. So, what is he looking for? And he actually tells them, he says, I, I want you to celebrate this feast with sincerity and truth. Now, think about sincerity here is not perfect perfection and no sinfulness. It's just dealing honestly with who you are, where you are. That's what he wants to have happen. All right. So, Yes, go ahead. What do you think the boasting looks like? So I think um, they, they probably could have gone. Um, so Gnosticism, which is something that comes later, but it's still, some of the ideas are still in part here. The separation of body and soul—they uh, could have been like who you are in Christ is untouchable, and so therefore it doesn't matter how you what you do in the body. You're just you're in Christ, so you're good. So you can you can see how the ridge line could be. Uh, I am in Christ, so how I live doesn't matter, and I could never be kicked out of the church no matter what I do. He's confronting that, right? He's being, their their arrogance in saying, we're in Christ. Because Why would they be so arrogant? Because they have gifts of the Spirit. You know, they're prophesying. They're, you know, maybe this, he doesn't say that. We are being more consumed with all these uh, signs that God is, is in their midst, like these, uh, Miraculous signs, and yet not really caring to be a pure people, and I think that's the arrogance there. Um, the word freedom is kind of misused in, in this congregation. They abuse the idea of freedom. Right, I'm free to do what I everything's lawful for me. Right. So that comes later. Right? It does come later, right?
1: you Maybe that's what's going on. Is they I'm free.
0: I'm free. Yeah, I, I'm in Christ. You can't touch me. You know, can't I, nothing that happens to me, and it's that's true. But you can push it too far. Clark, were you gonna? Yeah,
1: the the fragmentation assembly, that as a covenant people, God makes certain promises under the covenant, mm-hmm. lots of times are dependent upon our obedience. Mm-hmm. So that when we like to quote the scripture that says that. Uh, we are blessed uh, because or actually uh, God says that that the blessings that he would would pour out on us are for those who love him Mm -hmm. and call according to his purpose well if we don't love God he's not obligated then is that if we refuse to love him the way we should, Mm -hmm. we can't expect the blessings that, that are attached to it.
0: Okay. Yeah. Perfect. And you can give that to Larry. He wants to make a comment, but let me say this. Part of this is why covenant theology is so important. Okay. In covenant theology, Christ is your head and he does everything for you. So the obedience that you're supposed to have given Perfect obedience he gives. It's not you, right? It's up to him. But sometimes you could you could think of it, here's Christ and here's me and we're separate. like we're just like we're separate apart from each other, right? And so um, I'm trusting in Christ, I'm not trusting in myself and plenty of scriptures say that right It's not my works. But if you understand covenant theology, Christ is the head and he's not he's a federal head, but he's also like organically, connected to you such that your union with him filters down into you and here's the best way to think of this when adam sinned when he fell into sin every person that came after every person that came after him followed him in his in, in disobedience right you see how that's working and all of us are guilty because of Adam. Well, we have a new covenant head. And that new covenant head didn't just die for you and take away the punishment of sin. And now it's just up to you to change. And creates within you a new heart that wants to love and obey God. He gives you poured grace out over and over again. To like, uh, so that, that new heart begins to grow up and, and be more and more conformed in the image of Christ. So all these things are what he's doing as your covenant head, but that means that you are the fruit of his work. So if you think that your bearing fruit doesn't matter, because I'm trusting in Christ and not myself, you're missing the point. And that's what Clark's saying. He's, it's easy when you hear what Clark says, that the, the promises are somewhat conditioned upon you loving God, Well, they are, but not perfectly, right? Because nobody does that perfectly. But it is something where you're saying, there must be evidence in my heart of sincerity and truth in wanting to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's that's why you would take the person who has no concern from that and kick them out of the church. Because if you don't have any concern about that, then you're sure. Okay. So, But you just don't want to think of it as, Christ did this for me, now I have to do it, and, and all the blessings that he's going to give to me are uh, dependent upon my obedience, because really, my obedience is a part of the blessing that he's giving to me. And that's so important to understand, or you just, you miss grace. And I think this is where covenant theology helps us a lot, Okay. That's right. So, so if um, you probably have heard at some point, we can sin as Christians, but we can't truly be content in sin. If you have a new heart in you, you cannot, that new heart can never be truly content with sin. Now the old nature, boy, it can love it. And there's this war that's going on between you but there's something you know like uh, you, there's something within the new believer that they begin to they just uh, hate what's going on inside of them and so as a pastor you deal with people and they're like i'm struggling with this why am i dealing with this sin or what's going on here and you and the idea is oh you're struggling with that sin kick you out no the idea is that's what we do we struggle with sin and, and there's the old nature and the new nature fighting against one another. The only time you kick somebody out is when they're basically saying, yeah, I don't care. I just want to do what I want to do. That's a sign that they're not truly in Christ. Okay? Or at least, and, and even in that situation, we don't even know if they're truly in Christ or not because we don't know the end of the story yet. God could still use that to bring them back to himself. And so, okay, let's keep moving on. So the idea is we want we want the visible church to be pure and sincere in its desire to be like christ that's what we want but if you're a if you're corinthian and you hear paul say christian a and christian b and christian b is the one who's caught in this sin you need to kick this guy out of the church, okay? you could begin to think, oh, I am not allowed to rub shoulders with anyone who is corrupt. And that's exactly what Paul addresses in the next verses. So who's got the microphone here? Give that to Annalise. She'll read for us. 9 through 13. Is it yeah. yeah, you're good. At 9 through 13? Yeah. Or you do or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom Wait of God? Wait a minute. I think you're in chapter six. Oh, I'm in chapter six. six that's yeah, right. go back to five. Five, Five nineteen. Nine, nine through thirteen. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all, meaning that sexual immorality of this sexual the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers, or the idolaters. Since you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you to not associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you were to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Okay, so number one, this, this little passage assumes that there was a previous letter, right, We've talked about that at the beginning. There was a previous letter that Paul had written, and he had had said something like, you guys shouldn't be associating with those who are blatantly... You know, we got to go get up on the mountaintop and stay away from everybody not let anyone close to us. Some of them did, not all of them. Um, And so he's telling them that you're misunderstanding what I said before. And so, uh, what's his main point here? What's his main point?
1: You've been given the authority to judge those in the church.
0: Right. So, you, can, you need to kick this person out. That's a form of judging. And when he, meet, when he says judging, that's like a, you know, it's a statement of, we're saying God's condemnation is on you. I mean, that's a serious judging. It's, it's, so, um, you, you're allowed to do that. And, you, and it and even though there are probably some members in the church that are kicking the person out, the whole church has a responsibility to not fellowship with this person. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean that they don't ever interact with them. Doesn't mean that they're mean to them. Doesn't mean that they shun them. But basically, you don't act like everything's fine and that person's still in the church. You you're like. Uh, that you need to be careful for your soul. And so you should continue to love that person just like you would anybody, but you don't treat them as if they are a, in fellowship with Christ and with the body of Christ anymore. That's why things like if you're excommunicated, you don't have a right to take communion anymore. That's a, that's a privilege of those who are in, in the church. If you take somebody out, then you just need to be mean to that person. That is not what we're talking about. Uh, You're not to have this fellowship with them, whatever that means. And there's a lot of gray areas in that. But then they started saying that we should not interact with anyone outside of the church. Okay. And Paul says, if you had to do that, what would you have to do? You'd have to leave the world. Uh you couldn't be a witness. Excellent. Yeah. Well, what, I've always looked at this like if somebody was put outside the church, then we just treat them as we would any other unbeliever. Mm-hmm. So what I'm sensing is we should treat them a bit differently than others that are not in the church. I think there's. I think there is a difference. There is a um, if somebody has been put under church discipline, it is. it's hard. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to, uh, I could see myself, um, uh, you know, inviting neighbors over who are outside of the church and unbelievers and having a meal together and hanging out and just enjoying time together, trying to just, you know, just befriend them. And, you know, I don't see that quite the same way. Say, hey, let's just come on over. I'm just winning you back. You know, let's just have fellowship and watch the football game together, whatever. I, I don't see it quite the same. I think there is a sense where, yeah, we can meet, you know, we can have coffee and we can talk about, you know, what's God, is, is he bringing you back to repentance, those kind of things. But it's not quite the same thing as, as uh, just the general unbelieving world. So, I wouldn't
1: disagree. I think. The lost community. Mm-hmm desire to have back.
0: Mm-hmm. I, th- I think there's there's something to that, yeah. And this gets this gets um there's a lot of touchy gray areas and talking about how you relate to family members and all kinds of stuff that that I don't think is in Paul's purview right now. He's just trying to explain to them that the the solution to trying to be more pure is not just go out and be separate from the world. That's his point. Don't do that. You gotta interact with people. You need to rub shoulders with people. I, I, I differ. <laughs> What's that? On the with me or with Paul? <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully with me. <laughs> <laughs> with yeah. With you, I, I don't disagree with Paul. He says not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. Yeah. If he is guilty of, and then he makes this list. Yep. Not.
1: Sure. Yep. Okay. So that's pretty strict Mm -hmm. discipline coming down. Uh, A few months ago, Mm -hmm. this is not the same thing, Mm -hmm. but I can apply it here, maybe. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, This is hard because I know it's recorded. Ah! You shut it off. Go ahead. <laughs> um, okay, take our daughter, for example, okay, who has ditched us, for lack of a better term. Okay. Well, over the years, I've tried to keep some kind of contact with her. Okay? Uh huh.
1: Yeah. But it really wasn't helping. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it would be the same thing here. If you're still seeking out that person who is your mm-hmm. brother in Christ, but who has committed. hmm
0: Okay so so um your uh negative behavior towards them is going to be the good at I was saying my negative behavior is going to cause him that only god can do that Okay Okay. That's good. Good. And I, I stand on my position. So uh, <laughs> uh, hold on a second. Let me try. <laughs> because we don't think of eat in exactly the same way that they think of eat. So number one, what is our big meal of fellowship? It is communion. Okay. And In that situation, when you invited someone into your home to eat with them, it was a sign of fellowship and communion with that other person. Okay? So I think that he uses eat for a very important reason. And I said that you don't want to communicate to that person that everything is hunky dory. You know, we're in fellowship. You're a brother in Christ. I'm a brother in Christ. You're going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. All that kind of stuff. You don't want to communicate that to someone who's been excommunicated. That's not what you want to get through to them, okay? At the same time,